I'm Haley. And I'm Riley. And this is Movies Better, Yeah Right. A podcast where we see how our favorite YA reads and their adaptations stack up against each other. I'm a full-time writer, reader, and proud owner of four library cards. And I'm a never writer, sometimes reader, and avid movie watcher. We've been friends for six years and bond best over books and movies based off them. But instead of watching together and annoying everyone around us with our nonstop commentary, we've brought our hot takes here for you. So whether you read along, watch along, both or neither, join us as we work our way through the YA genre. All right, everybody. It is, it's kind of a funny story week, which I would say is exciting, extra exciting because, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was your favorite book as a teenager. It was. Yeah, this was my go-to. My copy is beat up. I've read it so many times. I've you actually had your like, original? I think so, yeah. I think this was my original from high school. The binding is like completely broken. I don't know. Are you like a breaker of books? I used to be. Yeah. Not anymore, but I used to totally bend. Yeah, I'm about to like lose full chapters of this book because they're like totally <laughs> snapped. I'm trying not to do it to library books because that feels rude, but any of my own, I'm like dog earing and ripping and just generally destroying all my books. I feel like that's its own hot take. <laughs> not, not book related, just a hot take in general. <laughs> I'm just, just, I am, I really like them. They're well loved. Yeah, because I'm always chucking them in bags or taking them places and then spilling on them. I don't know. My books are all just a mess, but less pressure. So what, yeah. what is your hot take of this old favorite? Um, rereading it, and I don't think I've ever had this take before, but this time around, I want a whole book on Noelle. I feel like her story that's, was not told enough. Okay, that's not my hot take, but it almost was. Oh, really? I was like, mental health hospital stories were like a thing at a certain mm-hmm. time period. They were everywhere. And yeah. I was thinking to myself, like, if anyone else or like Ellen Hopkins in particular, wrote this book, it would be about Noelle. Like it just yeah. would be. It I would think be her story. a funny thing about this book being like such a favorite for me is how like teenage boy focused it is. It is very much you're in the mind of like a 15-year-old boy. I'm not sure why. I mean, I know why I related <laughs> so much and it wasn't really the boy aspect. But yeah, rereading, I feel like Noelle's Definitely like a side character to him, but her whole journey yeah. in there is very sad and interesting. But that was right. okay. My actual hot take that I was going to give was that it's kind of a funny story, is not funny. <laughs> I did not feel like I didn't laugh once. I was just like sad and I tried to get through it pretty fast because I was like, this is not where I want to be right now. <laughs> yeah. Sad. I think maybe the movie does a better job of making it feel funny. It's a silly. Yeah, yeah, I was expecting. I think I remembered the movie a little bit more, so I was thinking it would be a little bit of a romp, but still sad. But I was like, no, I'm just sad. No, it's just very sad. Yeah. Before we fully get into it, and I feel like we've already done a bad job of this, but a trigger Our warning. Trigger warning. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. But there's a lot of talk about suicidal ideation, drug use, um, some sexual abuse, and eating disorders, Mm -hmm. just general mental health issues. So don't be fooled by the title the way Miss Riley was. It's not the funniest of stories, but we'll try to keep it light today. And other warning, we will be spoiling everything. Yes. So if you don't want to know how this ends, take a pause. Yeah, take a pause, watch it, read it. Or if you just feel like you need to skip this one, that's fine too. All right. So for like a short, just generic summary of it, the novel is written from the first person's perspective of Craig Gilner. He's a 15-year-old boy in New York City. He checks himself into the hospital after contemplating suicide. And the bulk of the story takes place over his five-day stay in the hospital and then learning how to handle his relationships and pressures of society. That's kind of a short you write story. that summary? That was good. Thank you. Um, I maybe paraphrased. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm the not writer. I'm the – it probably wouldn't make it through one of those plagiarism sites. First of all, how dare you out me, Riley? 
I just said it was, I just wanted to know if you wrote it because it was good. I didn't know if you were reading off the back of the book or something, as I don't have my book with me right now. So I can't. Oh, that's true. Can't Riley check. can't fact check at anything. I'm bookless today. So like I said, Craig is in high school. He lives in Brooklyn. He's facing insane pressure from school because he did all this work to apply for executive pre-professional school, which is a fictitious Manhattan high school. And he had to like study a bunch in eighth grade, work really hard to get into this school. And then once he's in, like it's still not enough. There's like eight hours of homework a day and just insane expectations, which I don't know if that's something like you had, Riley, in high school or middle school. Yeah, but I feel like I put them on myself. I'm like a perfectionist to an annoying extent. Nothing as intense as what he was going through. I feel like he made the studying and the like getting in his entire personality and devoted all of his time to it. And then once he was in, he was like, just this for the rest of <laughs> the rest of yeah. my school. What have I done? And I think a hard thing for him too, was that it turns out the test was broken his year. So everyone got like a really good score. All his hard work maybe wasn't even worth it. In eighth grade for me, my district had a lot of different high schools that you could go to that were like specialty. So there was like a comp sci, a med sci, cooking, oh. theater, dance, ROTC, which is like military. So you could like apply to all these high schools. And I was just like didn't want to. It just was like, how am I like already applying to things so early? So I just went to the high school I was zoned to. Like maybe if there was an art program, I would have been more into it. But all Mm -hmm. the kids around me were like working and applying and writing essays to go to these special high schools and see if they get in. And I was just sitting there like, oh, I'm not doing that. And I guess that's okay. But I had to like work really hard to be okay with not doing it because it seemed like I I should. I thought that only happened in Manhattan. I didn't know. Yeah, isn't it weird? To Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that every district in Jersey did things like that, but I knew – So, like, we had a bunch of kids from, like, different towns who got into the programs that were at my high school. So you had, like, people who just went to my high school because they were zoned there, and then you had people who, like, got into these special programs. Pretty intense. We were nothing like that. We had, like, I don't know. I feel like I hear people having really cool classes, and I was like, we had woodshop? I don't know. (laughs) Like, that was it. Oh, really? Yeah. So there was, like, a whole – there were, like, kids who had anatomy and, like, all sorts of special math and computer classes. And then we had a restaurant. So like the culinary kids ran the restaurant. What? Yeah. That sounds fun. I can't I know, but you never got to go. Uh, Gabby was in it. How cute. Shout yeah. Gabby. I know. So she would bake. Yeah. Gabby, sorry for outing you. <laughs> You're a little chef. So anyway, Craig gets in. So that's like his whole life. And then the story kind of rewinds to tell how Craig got in and like where his anxiety and depression start. And it's basically like school focused, but they do a couple flashbacks that make it clear that as a kid, he was like also very high strung. Like when he was drawing, he like wanted it to all be perfect. He couldn't understand when he was little why he couldn't do things the way like older kids or adults could do them. So he was always kind of an anxious being. I want to quickly say that I appreciate it. I feel like this is the only book I've ever read with. He was sort of hung up on the fact that nothing traumatic or huge had ever happened to him that would like be an easy thing to point to to be like, this is why. I am this depressed or like, this is why I'm this anxious. Mm -hmm. And he says a few times, like, it would be simple if I had like a reason or a justification that I could like work on, but the world didn't give me something tidy. And I feel like I've never read that kind of like nuanced, subtler, like mental health story before in YA. It's usually like really traumatic and black and white kind of. Yeah. I feel like usually like if the main character has like a mental illness, they're also doing meth like something or there's Mm -hmm. been something horrible yeah so anyway Craig tells his parents that he's depressed um and then his parents are very supportive and kind about it and help get him to two different doctors there's like a therapist and then uh what are they calling it in this like a psychopharmacologist which is like a psychiatrist the Mm -hmm. doctor that's able to prescribe prescribe like the medicine so Mm -hmm. he goes through talking with them about his like cycling. He has tentacles and anchors, which is something I feel like I really related to, like the cycling, how he would start off being stressed about a school assignment. And then all of a sudden he like 
kept going and going until suddenly he was stressed about the fact that he was going to be homeless. We'd be like two pages deep into the yeah. thought process and connecting slowly to like years and years from now. In high school, I definitely felt that where it was like, there was always like one more step. Even if you accomplish this one thing, like you're just on the path to like having to do the next thing. I mean, that's just kind of how life is, but that <laughs> does suck. It sucks when it right. starts so early. He talks through those things. He talks about wanting to have like his shift, which he describes as like a shift in like his mental state. So from going from like being depressed to being like back with it and able to manage his things and be able to manage school. I found but- a quote from the author where he describes the shift because he had one, which was mm-hmm. when he started writing this book was, spoiler alert on my book facts, he was in a mental hospital and then after getting out, wrote this book in like a month. And he yeah. said a week after he got out, he was in his kitchen sorting receipts and had what he described as the shift. And he says he realized suicide was stupid. It wasn't an option for me. I had put my family and friends through enough. And at that point, I started writing the book. Which I guess we can talk about the author more later. But the shift is not always what it seems, which is Mm -hmm. sad. It's kind of mental health is a constant journey and Mm -hmm. something you're constantly working through. So Craig is trying to do that, but he has a group of friends and his friends aren't necessarily bad, but they're just not like super helpful. Not good either. Yeah. Like his (laughs) one best friend, Aaron, is just kind of an asshole. Like, I don't think he intends to be hurtful or like dismissive, but he never like puts in the extra mile to understand why Craig is different, why he might not be chatty or in the mood to hang out. And then Aaron is dating Nia, who Craig is just like in love with. And Nia is the fucking worst. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you felt that way too. I had mixed feelings about her. I didn't like in general. I feel like it's, what's his name? Craig? Makes it easy for me to not like most female people in this book. And I feel like it's mostly just the way he's talking about them. And then I would be like, I don't think you've actually done anything necessarily. She does some shitty stuff toward the end. But I feel like I immediately was like, got weird. I think in the beginning, I'm like oh, she's not really doing anything. She just likes Aaron and not you, Craig, get over it. But then like when she starts to get like, so like Craig calls her on his really bad night when he is Mm -hmm. feeling like he's had enough with the world and has decided it's his time to go. He calls um, Nia just to find out if like he ever had a chance, I guess is like his last understanding. And she's like really flattered by this phone call. And is like, oh, yeah, like, if you had kissed me, I probably would be dating you right now. But, like, don't go do anything stupid. Which like, she, she never realized like, what? I think so. Like, why would was? you say, like, don't do anything stupid unless you thought someone was going to like go I do something stupid? she was stupid. like, don't do anything stupid to Aaron or, like, about your friendship or to me. Like, I don't know. I feel like I she was saying she was. something else because I think she already knew Like, they knew that they both took medication, I thought, by that point. Like, they both knew they had mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. So I feel like she was hinting at that instead of Aaron. Because I feel like she doesn't really think about Aaron that much. So he starts to, like, have that issue. He spends the night with his mom. He sleeps in her bed with her, which is, like, really sweet. I don't know. His parents just seem really lovely. His dad very quickly was, like, it's like a thing where he's like, yep, you want to sleep in there? I'll take the couch tonight. And it's sweet that that's like his safe space. But mm-hmm. that night he like has the plan. And this is where it gets kind of graphic for anyone listening. But his plan is to bike to the Brooklyn Bridge and then jump off. So he feels at peace with that idea and kind of goes into a state of calm. Like he's energized, but he's like ready. He says goodbye to his sister. He decides he doesn't want to leave a note. He's going to lock up his bike so that there's like some evidence of where he went. That's his plan. But then he doesn't even make it out of the house. He ends up finding a self-help book that his mom had that he remembers helping her when she lost. Was it a parent or something? Or I think so. Yeah, she lost somebody in her life and got this book and was really repping it, I guess enough for him to remember it. So he pulls How to Survive the Loss of a Love off the bookshelf and finds a number for the suicide hotline. 
and gives it a call. And the first one he calls is like pretty unhelpful. I think he gets like redirected because yeah, some people are trying to commit suicide. And he was like, wow, I can't even pick like a special night to do this. I'm just like mm-hmm. one in a million apparently. But then he gets on the phone with another person and realizes that what he's having is a medical emergency. And that seems to like really snap him out of what he's doing. And he really listens to that and understands that like he's sick and needs to go get help. So he walks himself over to the nearest hospital um, in Brooklyn and goes to the emergency room and says that he wants to kill himself. And they get him in to see a doctor like pretty quickly. They take it very seriously, which is nice. The author did the same thing, by the way, where he did not attempt at the time suicide. He called a hotline. He was close and making a plan. So he called a hotline and then went somewhere in, I believe also Brooklyn. It was the Methodist Hospital in Park Slope. And I think this book is also set in Park Slope. And he, because he was an adult at the time, he sets Craig, which I'm sure you're going to explain, in an adult ward, which was so confusing to me. Yeah, it's really interesting that he did that. It's interesting that he still wanted to write about a teenager. If yeah. it is his story, like maybe mm-hmm. as a way of like distancing himself a little bit. And he'd written YA before this too. He had, yeah. But... Yeah, so when Craig goes in, they're renovating the teen ward, or I guess the pediatric ward, but they make it sound like there's a whole level for just teens, Mm -hmm. which I guess I don't know how it works. Thankfully, I haven't had to learn, but he ends up in like the adult ward with all the adults who are also um, at what they call Six North. Some of the main people he meets are Bobby, who he meets in... The waiting room, doesn't he? I thought that was in the movie, but maybe it's it is in the movie book and too. not the book. That's a, I'm getting a little blurred. We've read this yeah. a while ago <laughs> now. We're sorry, guys. But and it closely, it like follows the movie pretty closely, and then when it the way it differs is really subtle. So I, I have a really hard time this time not getting them conflicted yeah. more than usual. Yeah, in the movie, like they just kind of expand a little on certain things, not necessarily yeah. change. So it's hard to draw the line. There. It's just a slew of characters and adults in this hospital who Craig really connects with. But when he agrees to be admitted, he seems to think, so it's Friday night into Saturday morning, and he seems to think he'll be ready to go to school Monday and have like a miracle drug and get his shift and be back and functioning. So he's a he little was on surprised. meds before. He just stopped taking them. Yeah. So, so he, he took so like which that's the tricky thing about mental health drugs is they make you feel better and then you think you don't need them anymore mm-hmm. which is really common so he stopped taking them and then started having these like suicidal thoughts he is really surprised there's like a five-day minimum for being in the hospital so there's no chance of him getting out anytime sooner than thursday if he gets in on saturday he seems once he like settles into that idea he gets more comfortable well at six north he meets um a group of residents who are eccentric but really accepting of him he's pretty hesitant at first and is worried about school still and what his friends will think and what his family thinks of him but he gets like more and more comfortable with the community there and he helps some of the people there, like Bobby, he loans him a dress shirt for an interview. He arranges music for one of his, for his roommate. He also meets Noel, who is who we mentioned earlier. And he starts to get connected with them, which I don't know. The book doesn't talk about like therapy a lot. Like no. it's a lot about his connection with other people, which I've always heard you're, you really shouldn't make friends in those situations. I feel like they say, one of his therapists tells him that, I, w- I want to say in the book, that she's like, you're, because the tentacles are things that are like pulling him down and anchors are things that are like a good kind of um, mm-hmm. something to hold on to. And she's like, you can't make a person your anchor. Like Noel can't be his anchor. And like all of these yeah. people can't be his anchor. And I felt like by the end of it, I was like, I feel like he changed, was like a good influence and like, really friendly and did sweet things for like a lot of the people there and they probably felt different after he left but I felt like he made a lot of friends and there wasn't a lot of therapy and I was hoping for 
some more like tools he could carry out when he got out. Yeah, I was confused on what was helping him there. Like yeah. make just the break from school. I don't honestly. I felt he like wasn't given anything. I felt like he had one of the things I thought was weird about this book. I felt like he had a total superiority complex where he was like not as quote unquote crazy as the people in there. And he, he seemed to like get in there and like observe what was happening and be like, I kind of hot shit. Like I'm not doing X, Y, Z. Therefore I'm going to like help these people. And I'm like kind of fine. And he didn't do a lot of work on himself. Seemingly. Yeah. And I think that's where like rereading, like I think I liked this book so much just because of the portrayal of like anxiety and being in high school and being so stressed out. Mm -hmm. I related a lot to that. But rereading it, I can see that like it it definitely didn't give me any tools. It was more of like a sound, like an echo of what I was feeling, but not exactly something that was like going to help me learn how to manage it better. Just like if you're not alone. Uh Yeah, exactly. So reading it as an adult now, I still think there's a place for that to be helpful, but I Mm -hmm. like – wouldn't mimic what Craig is doing. And I, I I do think the people in the hospital from the nurses to the patients are like supporting that idea. They're like some yeah. of the people who are working there and running like the music therapy are saying he should volunteer mm-hmm. and that like he's she not does. in the right spot and that yeah. When he tells people that he like lives two blocks away, they're like, oh, like you're from a good family. Like you're not like the people in here. You're different. Yeah. Which is like not helpful. I don't know. It is a little odd. It was like in the same vein, the book like gave a lot of power to the idea that like you don't have to have something bad happen to you to like be clinically depressed and have a problem and need to get help. And then in, in like the same breath, it was like, oh, but like, he doesn't have like these kinds of problems. Yeah. Like all of these traumas and worse things. So like he's better. It was, it was, it was weird to have those side by side. I don't know how to explain it. It was weird. And he like, doesn't connect with the teens who are there besides Noel. And there's like some weird situations with the teens, which Mm -hmm. I'm like blanking on a name right now, which I, feel bad about. Don't ask me. Sorry. (laughs) But there is a character who seems to be transgender. Yeah. And that seems to be the reason they're in the hospital. Yeah. That that was my understanding of it, at least. That was the way he wrote it. Misgendering her and they Mm -hmm. were using the wrong name. It was very It was mostly supposed to be a joke, it felt like. I feel like that was was what was the funny story. And yeah. it doesn't hold up. It's not funny. It was not. Yeah. It was like a little bit different in the movie. They took out some of the really offensive parts of that scene, but it was still not funny and it was still not done well. It was, that's what I, what I was saying before about like his writing about women, including that trans woman and some scenes with Noel and Nia. I was kind of like, Ooh, I don't like being in a 15 year old boy's head. This is like, yeah, it was oh like a little too much as mm-hmm. an adult. Like, I feel like I definitely skimmed over those parts because it was, like, not relatable. Like, I focused in on the stuff that I did relate to and kind of breezed past anything that I wasn't relating to. And it's hard to, like, think critically about this author, too, I feel like, which maybe we could get into that for a minute. Yeah, because I don't think I've ever said his name. Edison Ned is what he goes by. Vizzini. Vizzini? Vizzini, don't know. Vizzini, V-I-Z-Z-I-N-I. Um, he has a lot in common with Craig. He attended a prep high school in Manhattan, went to a mental hospital, wrote a lot. He says that Craig's story is like 85% his. He used like a lot of the characters. That's He said he was kind of being lazy by setting it in adult ward because he just wanted to use a lot of those characters and the patients that he was with at the time. So he gets out of that hospital, has the shift that I mentioned writes the book in a month from like December 2004 to January 2005. He writes the entire thing and it is not short. And he said it wasn't like hard to write about the depression. It was like a relief to like get it out that whole experience in that month. And then that was back in, when was this book published? 2006. The movie comes out, I think a couple of years later. In 2013, when he's 32, he at this point is married and has a son. He dies by suicide at 32. 
And my book, I don't know if yours, yours probably doesn't because it's an older version, but my book had a foreword by a different author who like prefaces the book with that. It was talking just a lot about mental health being a, you know, not like a straight line, which it's sort of in the book, even at the end, very much gives the idea that it just is like a straight line. And like, when you're good, you're good. But the foreword was stressing the point that like, it's a constant, the rest of your life, like you, you work on it always. Yeah. Which I don't think the book does at the end. And I don't think when I was younger, maybe it hadn't happened yet, or maybe I just didn't, didn't research. Probably it was 2013. Fact, so I bet you read it before then. Yeah, I must have read it before then. So rereading it now, it just makes it even less of a funny story. Mm-hmm. And I know the book ends extremely hopeful, happy, and Craig ends up in a really good place and feeling better and feeling like he can manage things. He's decided to switch schools. He finds mm-hmm. art as an outlet. He starts making like mind maps and just like has all these ideas for bigger art projects and finds out that that's a big anchor for him. And he talks to Aaron and works through their relationship, talks with Nia, mm-hmm. ends up in a weird situation. She comes to Helps visit him. Get him. over her. Yeah. She comes to visit him and it's just it does not go well. They like kiss and it's just like a mess. It's like a weird mess at the very end of the book. It ends up that he like realizes that he does not need to be like pining over Nia anymore. I was just going to ask if you noticed at the end, the like way it wraps up is with this list of like all of these like hopeful, I don't know, like he's going to leave the facility and like he's looking forward to like doing all these things. And it's like this long list of like mm-hmm. activities and dates and stuff. But there's nowhere in that list is there like the acknowledgement that he'll ever feel this way again or that like yeah. he might be tempted to get off his pills and like go back to therapy or like it's just like this very like up and up and up and up and up always like last page. Which is not necessarily how I think it should be. And it almost feels as if instead of like anxiety being his main issue and like not to diagnose, I'm not an expert on anything, but the ending of the book feels very manic. That he's like kind of worked himself into like this high energy focus on to like being okay and having that shift. It doesn't seem to have the ability to acknowledge that there's like more work to be done. Like it also would take like Dr. Minerva being like, see you next week or something. But there's like, it seems like they are done. Like they've broken up almost. They're like, goodbye, you're good. There was, I was just thinking back to you saying that there's not a lot of, well, like none really like therapy. Once he gets to the facility, there's not a lot of him doing practical things. And I am just remembering that what I didn't know when I was younger reading this, I had no idea. I did not sink in that he had an eating disorder. Like that took until now to read it to be like, oh, clearly this, what he's describing a lot of it, he has depression and anxiety and he's describing the man with the chain. Hmm. You're making, are you making a face at the noise in the background or at me? No, I'm making a face at you and what you're saying because I saw that you wrote like graphic eating disorder descriptions as like one of the trigger warnings. And I was like, this is like a reflection on me probably, but I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, I didn't think they described that girl with the eating disorder that much. I was thinking about- It like completely went over my head that he had, I am learning this information as you are telling it to me. And I I also cannot diagnose him. Like, I don't know what, it just seemed to be like a part of his depression and anxiety was like exhibiting in a lot of graphic scenes of him throwing up, not being able to eat. Yeah, no, he's a man in a stomach chain or a rope and he's throwing- the, in therapy, there is like no, he is not ever spoken to about how to handle that or that even being part of his depression and part of what he's going through. It is like never addressed, which I think is why it went completely over my head. It yeah. wasn't until. And over um, mine, like again, like it just seems like a side effect, but you're totally right. That was like an active part and like almost a separate issue. And then it goes away. He just like yeah. eats. Like, I think they mentioned it a couple scenes that he's, like, able to eat in the cafeteria. But it is very much, like, voila. We're just supposed to imagine that he's, like, fine to yeah Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, even in the therapy sessions, because we are, like, we do read through, like, a few sessions, it feels like. But they're Mm -hmm. really not talking about anything. 
They're no. kind of just like, how are you feeling? Like, oh, you're still feeling bad? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. And they don't ask him further questions. And then he, like, really doesn't divulge a lot of information. Like, just I wrote down, reader. like, a lot of what's going on in his head is not being verbalized to anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so, think it would be interesting to like read it. Not that this exists out there, but if there was a version that was like just dialogue, like just what he was saying, it would be like a completely different story because there's so much, you're right, that is just all in his head that is not communicated. Yeah, and it seems like the adults around him are doing the best they can with what they're given, but especially the ones who are like in have the authority to be like, you're not telling the whole truth. Or, like, have the knowledge. They don't seem to be going that extra mile for him. They're, like, taking what he's saying at face value. A lot of times, people will call you on your bullshit and be like, no, like, we saw you in the cafeteria not eating Mm -hmm. anything. Like, let's talk about why that's happening. But nobody seems to be doing that for him. It's a weird book. I do see that you reading it younger and being like, oh, this is, like, someone is like putting words to things that like you probably had never seen that like you felt is like a really good thing. It just is like an old book. So I feel like it's, it maybe wouldn't come out exactly. Well, I think it definitely wouldn't come out exactly the same as it was. Mm -hmm. There'd be a lot of stuff that would be changed, but I think it was like a a part of this like building block of like YA that was like, okay, let's talk about mental health now. So I think it, even if it's maybe not the first thing we would hand to someone now and be like, this will help you. It was like a good little stepping stone. Yeah, I do think what you said about, like, this will make you feel seen, not necessarily this will help you. So I would still, yeah. like, hand it to someone, especially with, like, the preface that your mm-hmm. version had. I would. I don't think I would mm-hmm. hand anybody. I would give my own preface if I give them my copy. Yeah, just saying, like, this, we'll talk about what you're feeling. Let's take steps after. <laughs> to, yeah. To, like, help this more because this beginning. is, like, not enough. Yeah, exactly. Ultimately, it does end on like a positive note, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But then in real life, it ends on a very negative note. So I don't know. It leaves you feeling funny when you know the full story. Yeah. I had a lot of conflicting. Did you have conflicting feelings about maybe just bad feelings? His relationship with Noel rubbed me so wrong in the book more than the movie. The whole thing with Noel that it like wasn't being monitored more, that it was not being discouraged. Like you should not date people you meet in treatment. It's like they are not gonna help each other in the long term. And he's not nice to her. He likes her because she's like broken. Which is the- what Neo is doing to him, he is doing to her, I feel like. True. And he has a conversation with Noel where she's talking about why she's in there. Because the, the obvious reason that he sees is that she has a cut on her face that appears self-inflicted. And he, in the book, not in the movie, in the book, he like asks her, like, what'd you do? Why is that there? Um, so they have this whole conversation where she talks to him about like um, that she was like really pretty. And she said people wanted something from her and someone took something from her that they shouldn't have. She like is sort of speaking around a, some sort of sexual assault. Later in the book, they have like one hookup scene and he asks her, do you want me to, I forget what he's doing. He asks her at some stage of the hookup, do you want me to? And he says, she shakes, she nods, or maybe she shakes her head. I don't know, but, and he keeps going. Oh, and I yeah. was like, why are we, can we, <laughs> like for this girl specifically, we've like gone to great lengths to like make it known that she's got an assault in her past and like being seen as pretty and like valued for just her body is like a big problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was very weird. I don't, I wasn't rooting for them. The author said that he thinks that in his heart, the relationship, because it was created, he says in a stressful situation, it will probably fail. He doesn't see it going on past the book. But that's what's weird about why, I don't know. It's like hard to speak too critically about it, but I yeah. don't see why he didn't just write this story for himself as an adult. He made it teens and then made this relationship that is problematic. Yeah. And then just like sent it out into the world. <laughs> it feels irresponsible. And she's different in the, I feel like whoever was making the movie was picked up and was like, okay, we're not following this exactly because there's a few changes that I was like it was a lot sweeter and more innocent and less um I felt like she was less exploited in the movie than like in the book she just kind of existed to be 
like on the page for him to yeah like somebody who wasn't Nia who like was still interested in him which is why I think both you and I would want to see a Noel book yeah I would be very interested in it I feel like she has a lot of story to tell and you know what I maybe a Noel book is Dear Medusa I feel like their stories are very similar Mm -hmm. which is another YA book um that's newer I think it just came out maybe a year or two ago I think last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you were I, reading it last week, weren't you? Yes. On the, on the, the last, last episode. episode. <laughs> which isn't Any necessarily last week for <laughs> us, but um, let me find the author really quick for everybody. It's Olivia Coleman. Oh, yes. No, Olivia A. Cole. Oh, I just <laughs> lied so right. confidently. That's no facts. <laughs> See, I really can't remember names. Just since we brought it up and said it would be a good Noel story, I'll read the little blurb about what Dear Medusa is about in case anyone's interested in a telling of that story. But it's a searing and intimate novel in verse, and it follows a 16-year-old girl coping with sexual abuse as she grapples with how to reclaim her story, her anger, and her body. So it's so very good. similar to what Noel is dealing with. And mm-hmm. I think since we won't ever get a Noel book, maybe that's the closest thing out there right now. I think that's a good recommendation. Thank you. Um, I try. I'm all out of book facts. I think I have one left. I just have been throwing them sporadically out there. I know. Normally so we call these book fun facts, but <laughs> I don't know. That's yeah, but a, today they're book facts. They're just facts. Yeah. Our movie facts are a little more fun. The movie in okay. general is a little more fun um, yeah. if we want to get into that. Yes. My last book fact just mm, to yes. share is that this book won. It was a 2007 best book for young adults from the American Library Association. So it was a big deal. And he, besides writing a few more, like a teen angst book of essays, a couple like fantasy books, he wrote... Oh, um, some TV episodes, including two Teen Wolf episodes, which I was like, brava. Teen no Wolf. way. Great. <laughs> yes. Interesting. Okay. I need On to watch Teen Wolf. Why after you do Gossip Girl? I know. I'm still in it, you guys. <laughs> I'm not. Where I'm myself now? out of it. I am still in season one, but Vanessa's like back and so annoying. Evil long way. A lot yeah. of Vanessa. I know. And like, Dan is honestly a bad boyfriend. You shouldn't do another one of those books. Anyway. Oh, God. We just keep doing Gossip Girl. (laughs) Feels like Gossip Girl podcast. In the movie, I got to start by saying that there are so many characters combined into one that I was sort of lost. Bobby, the Zach Galifianakis plays basically this like combo of every male patient in the book. I felt like it was like a few. It was like Bobby Humble and someone else. Yeah, he gets merged a little. Which I didn't think was a bad thing, because in the book, I had a hard time keeping track. In the movie, I felt like not only does Craig have, like, his story arc, but, like, Bobby had a a story arc going on in the background that I can get into. The movie opens by skipping, like, all of the first, I would say, like, 100 pages of the book. Everything that happened pre-hospital about, like, him at school and his friend group is skipped and just sort of is like filtered in later and little like yeah that's what i said too my first note is like no backstory at all yeah we just start he's not at the hospital immediately he's having like a nightmare and he's dreaming that he's on the bridge on his bike and his family is there and he falls off and then wakes up if i'm not wrong because it's been a minute he goes like immediately to the hospital from does he call a hotline in the movie because he's like so quickly at the hospital and he's like yeah. talking to the receptionist and filling out I feel forms. Like, yeah, and... it just like opens I feel like it opens up at him at the hospital being like I need to be admitted. Yeah. And the woman just hands him a form and is like, go fill this out. Yeah, she's very, like, dismissive. The, very dismissive. The hospital in this movie is weird. Oh. Very weird. I mean yeah. you've got immediately Zach Galfinakis's Bobby character is in Scrubs sitting in the waiting room talking to Craig like he's a doctor and later we realize he's not a doctor he's a fellow patient oh yeah Um, I don't I don't know if this happens in the book this is the part I was confused about it doesn't happen in the book oh well that part might but in the book no one is wearing Scrubs and leaving the facility that's like a movie thing there's no little like movie montages with music of them like running through the hospital Oh, yeah. The music hijinks. is so good. Like, yeah, this we're... time period of movies has mm-hmm. the best soundtracks. 
feel like we haven't gone wrong. <gasps> we could make a wise. playlist for all of you guys. Oh my gosh, we should get a Spotify account. Yeah. Great ideas. Idea. Okay. Okay. We'll forget so. about it in a while. um in the movie he's got a little bit more of a specific problem like not like school in general but a summer program that his dad is like pressuring him to get into and he seems to know pretty immediately that that's what he's stressed about and that's why he's really depressed and he kind of like forces his way into the hospital more in the movie they're kind of like trying to send him home with medication and he's like no because I, yeah, I think they maybe were they so were so dismissive. Yeah, they were like, take, you can go home. Like, we'll like prescribe you stuff and get you back on your meds. And he's like, no, I need help. Like, put me in there. And they're like, with the adults, that's all we have. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, and it's weird that they even had this conversation without his parents present yet in the book. So like, weird. they kind of wait until the mom gets there. And the doctor is like rude, which mm-hmm. is probably pretty realistic, honestly. Yeah, probably a good American healthcare system. Yeah, uh, where they're sure. like, no, you should go home. Yeah. Or like um, nothing beats going to the emergency room and then being like, oh, here's the bill. Also, you didn't really need to come. It's like, oh, great. And then later, Fuck me. you find out you did need to go and you have to go back and pay again. That's happened Ugh, to me. God, it's annoying. So <laughs> it's good he advocates for himself. Yes. Good lesson for us all. Um, by the time his parents come, though, or like know about this, he's already like in it for five days. And Viola Davis, one of the docs, is like, you can't leave. You're here for five days. Yeah. So, and it's called so, Three North instead of Six North. I don't get no, why they did, changed that. I didn't notice that. That's interesting. Isn't it like weird? I did, why change that? <laughs> Movies no are so funny sometimes. The um, The movie follows the book pretty closely with like, He's in the cafeteria. He's doing group therapy. He's talking to Nia on the phone and Aaron on the phone, not doing a ton of therapy, like just kind of like hanging out, doing crafts, playing music. Yeah, it's like they're just going from one activity to the next. And then there's honestly like group looks therapy fun. about other people. It's like big about Bobby and mm-hmm. somebody else. They get like in a fight. But I felt like they made Bobby in the movie – seem a lot like who Craig thought he might become if he didn't get help because Bobby's older. He's got a kid and a wife and he is like back in three North for what sounds like multiple times that he's like gone in and out. Yeah, I think Um, he says he's tried to end his life like six times. Like it seems like like they're learning from each other sort of that like Craig sees himself and Bobby and Bobby might see like maybe a more like a younger version and be a little bit more compassionate towards himself. Cause he's like reminded of like him younger. I feel like they had a little back and forth going on where they were feeding into. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. It was like more of a relationship in the movie. Yeah. Than in the book, it seems to be more like Craig reacting to how Bobby is. He like gave Bobby like a shirt for an interview, which Bobby was really touched by. And he like talks to Bobby talks to Craig about Noel and gives him Oh my god, that part's funny. He like pretends to be Noel and is like, "Ask me on a date." And And it's just Zach Galifianakis talking with a girl voice, being very (laughs) cute and funny. And the advice he gave him was like a song, like a Billy Joel. Yeah. Right. And then he like spews it back to Noel, and she's like, "Wow, original." (laughs) (laughs) But Craig like didn't know it was a song lyric. Just to get all Bobby's stuff out of the way, I'm going to speed to the end really fast and just say that there is this very vague ending that I was looking around on the internet and everyone seems confused and there's no right or wrong answer but at the end when Craig is like saying goodbye to everybody he asks where Bobby is and someone says he's checked out and it's like very mysterious where it seems like they're leaving it up to you to decide if he killed himself or actually checked out because it's sort of given in this very like somber tone like not like a celebratory like he checked himself out so I googled it because I was like what was that supposed to mean and people were like yeah unclear like I feel like I'm super oblivious I thought it was somber because like Craig didn't get to say goodbye so like Craig was like bummed out about that but I just assumed that he was like going home I don't know I think because like in the book Craig wants to like exchange info and see each other and Bobby is like no like you need to go live your life you're not meant to like be true. like friends with us now so I thought it was his way of like leaving the maybe, situation maybe that man just overacted and I really fell hard for 
his emotions and <laughs> apparently like, you and other people <laughs> I feel like I completely missed it I think I related it to like in the office when um Michael is leaving and he like pretends he has one more day when he doesn't and Jim is the oh, only one yeah. who catches on well I like that I hope that that's what happened I hope he just was like I'm gonna like dip out quietly and leave this kid to his life I'm gonna take it as such because I don't yeah. think Bobby was like as big on like connecting with everybody. Okay, so going back to Craig in his his little journey here, which, like I said, pretty closely follows the book. One of the only differences is he and Noel have some kind of cute. I know that they probably shouldn't be dating in here, and that that has its whole own weird thing. But they play this like question game where they get to know each other, and he doesn't ask about her scar or like pry he very much like lets her come forward with any information about herself which i think was sweet and respectful and Mm -hmm. then they like do the whole sneak out put on scrubs run around together and like go up on the rooftop and like talk about music and i think they kiss once and it's very way different vibe than the book yeah and i think that's the very end of the book too or the movie movie craig's more likable (laughs) He's so much more likable. Maybe because yeah. we're not in his head. Maybe we wouldn't like him if we were like. I think that's the same thing that happened to us with like Georgia, too. Like movie Georgia, <laughs> it's adorable, that's but like true. once you're in these people's heads, it's like too much. That is true. That is a great Which, point. I wonder if Georgia this is Craig. us just finding out we <laughs> don't like YA. <laughs> don't like being in their heads, but I think it's just yeah. the years of them. I will say with Noel in the movie. I thought they, like, went as gentle as possible with, like, what she did to her face. I feel like it was a lot more graphic in the book. Or maybe I just, like, assumed it was. Like, she took, like, half scissors to her face. And yeah, in the it's, like, these detail. dainty little scratches, like, almost as if, yeah. like, a cat had caught her. Yeah. They even gave – there's a scene where they're all, like, playing instruments and they – he has, like, a daydream where they're all, like, on a stage performing. And she's got – like glitter on her face like outlining her scars and she's in like this badass outfit all oh yeah she looks amazing cute. i just felt like that they did right by her in the movie more than more than that book that scene was fun yeah that scene is very fun it's like a fever dream almost they're like in the music class and they ask craig to sing and he's like pretty confident and goes up there and then they like flash to this like oh Super Bowl halftime esque <laughs> yeah. performance of under pressure, which they're oh. all in costumes and it's very fun. And the the main guy is Daniel Faraday. Did you realize that? Who's that? The guy from Lost, the the physicist. <gasps> I know, it, and he it, looks just like Daniel Faraday. I feel like he is Wait, um, why didn't that I, it didn't connect for me either, and Colton called it out. Like, he looked at the screen for two seconds and was like, oh, my God, Daniel. And I was like, oh, I love him. That's I can't nuts. believe I missed it. That is so weird. Yeah, like, take him out of that universe, and my brain's like, I don't know who that is. He's my favorite character in Lost, so I was glad that this is what he's doing with his life now. Love that. I also love – so that scene was way more fun in the movie than in the book to, like, visualize it. I thought they did a cute job. And then the <laughs> art that he makes – Oh, was yeah. so amazing in the movie. It was so satisfying to see. He like draws everyone's um, brains as like cities with like, I don't know, like Bobby's was like under construction or something being remodeled or something. And he's so like, he like lends each cityscape to that person's personality and what they're going through. And they were so cool. It would like cut to almost an animation style mm-hmm. of you like going through the streets and it became like very 3D and immersive which I really yeah. liked and it also st- still stayed really true to like the cover of the book which I thought was very cool yes yeah, so it just it like really went from amplified there. it I do like that he had that and that like carried through because I feel like that's one of the main themes and I just kind of like breeze past it in the book but the mind maps and his like art and drawing become that's super like a good anchor yeah a really good anchor yeah so he does find that and he does like he doesn't list noel or any of those people as his anchor so i think he does understand the concept of like what he needs to like reframe and refocus but yeah his dad like in the movie isn't thrilled with that he seems harder to, to like come around yeah his mom 
Lorelai um, Gilmore. Graham of Gilmore Girls fame, yes. Yeah. It's much more understanding. I have to point out, he has a roommate in the book, in the movie, and it's a there's a point made that, like, this roommate never leaves his room. He's sleeping all the time. And he, like, I think he mentions at one point that he, like, likes music, but he only likes Egyptian music. And somehow this man has been in here for what appears to be a really long time. Yeah. And no one has got him a CD or a record or anything. Like, Craig has to be the person to, like, call up Aaron and be like, can you check your dad's records and, like, bring me this Egyptian record? And then this guy gets out of bed. I mean, which I don't know how realistic it is that it would be so easy to, like, Craig saves the day, like, plays a record and everything's perfection. But I was like, are you kidding me? No one got this man music? It's all he wanted? Similar to, like, the shirt for Bobby. It seems yes. like at this hospital, no one is getting better unless they do it all themselves or Craig Gilner helps them. <laughs> yeah. Like, staff yep. and doctors are not there to help you. It's no. very bizarre. They're there to help Craig help you. Yeah, like, because Bobby, like, the alternative was, it seems like, get into this, like, group home or mm-hmm. – he is homeless when he has to leave. And they couldn't get him a shirt. And the had doctors to be were like, whatever. Like, yeah. Wear your Marvin the Martian shirt to the interview. Good luck. <laughs> but Craig yep. helps Bobby with like interview training, which I thought was really sweet too. Like, oh, Craig I love would that be really great in this environment. I just didn't think giving him like one more life goal was really the thing to do. Or just to distance him so much from like, if he was like, this was me and I want to help because I've been there. But it felt like he was like, oh, I'm already better. I'm already so I'm helping. Help you out. But- yeah, and that's like still the case in the movie too. It like Flash introduces his friend groups and like explains the school system and things. And when they're like mm-hmm. flashing through everything, they flash Craig and he's reading Be More Chill, which is um, <gasps> Ned Vizzini's like first book, I think. How cute. Yeah, yeah, so that's really cute. And then when Craig is like, saying he tells his story at the very end it looks like craig becomes a writer and like writes his story and the story is it's kind of a funny story those are the copies of the books he's signing so that completely it's like at the very end i had to like pause both of these things to see like what books were in his hands wait that wasn't a fact that you found on the internet. You, Haley, paused the movie and Haley, got these facts? Peter got that fact Whoa. herself. Yeah, these were two Haley facts. That Impressive. I know, considering I missed on the, ground reporting. the eating disorder and the fact that Bobby might be dead. I really honed in on these small details. Um, I might be overthinking. I don't know. Those are good facts. I don't know. I think you're pretty spot on with both of those. I have visual facts and Riley has emotional understanding of other humans <laughs> but I'm maybe lacking a little the directors Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck they met while studying film at NYU Bowden met Ryan on the set of a student film and then they began dating and then they started collaborating and making movies together which I thought was funny wow. yeah romantic I know right Zach Galifianakis didn't read the book prior to filming the movie Good. That would have been confusing for him. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would have helped him. Who am so. I? I think that does make sense. I don't know. I'm like conflicted on that. I understand wanting to have the project like have its own life. But like if you're making an adaptation isn't the whole point that you're like bringing the book to life. I have mixed feelings on like not reading the source like- material at all. Maybe because, like, I wonder, I'm curious if he was, like, playing Craig, if he would have read the book. But, like, because he's Bobby and Bobby in the book is, like, has nothing to do with, like, the Bobby that they ended up putting in the movie, like, plot-wise. I think Bobby in the book has, like, a history with drugs. His goals are very different. So I feel like I would hope that if he was playing someone else who had, like, a one-to-one character, he would be like, oh, I should, like, read this. But maybe it would be, like, confusing. Maybe. I don't know. I really like... Zach Galifianakis's version of Bobby, but I also really like Zach, so that could be mm-hmm. why too. I think he's a really good actor and just seems like a nice person. And then with him being in this movie, there's also like you mentioned Viola Davis. It's Zoe Kravitz as Nia, which oh my gosh, I like did totally not recognize that. for some reason. She's so young in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then Emma Roberts is Noelle. Lauren Emma Graham Roberts looks nearly identical to how she looks now and then Zoe Kravitz I was like whoa 
I know, right? I think Emma mm-hmm. Roberts hasn't aged since um Unfabulous. Yes. I was like, what the hell is the name of that show? Uh, what a good show. show. Such we a should good do show. a mini sode on Unfabulous. <laughs> um and then Love. Jim Gaffigan is the dad. So there's a lot of famous mm-hmm. people in this movie. And it's as I mentioned before, studded. Daniel Faraday, the biggest <laughs> famous person of all. Definitely star studded, but I also feel like not talked about a lot. I don't know. Nobody ever brings this book or movie up to me. True. I only saw it because of the book. I don't think I saw it in theaters or anything. I think I just read the book and then I, I got definitely it, read actually. the book and then found out about the movie later. That's good though. Yeah, I what do you think? Watching movie or I think book? What's your take? I'm movie again, and I am. I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. I think I might still be book. Just because I really like how he writes about his anxiety. For yeah. like that purpose alone, I think I will still be book. I don't know necessarily that it's still like my all-time favorite book, but it does have a place in my heart. It was there when I needed it to be there. So. Yeah. But it's I like do think Hallmark movie is fun and sweet and worth the watch. We should start a tally. Numbers are, are leaning I know we're lean in movies still pretty hard. I'm glad and this that you one, got, I'm like, we pretty, got a book vote. We did get a book vote, but I think I'm biased. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I do think there is a lot in this book that doesn't hold up, unfortunately. I have really high hopes for our next episode. I feel like might be my chance to like a book better so that everybody can prepare. We are reading volumes one and two of Heartstopper and watching the first season. Yes. And do it. What is the season on? How can we watch that? Do you know? Heartstopper streaming. I'm going to guess Netflix. Let's see. Yeah. Netflix. Netflix. Nice. So I just picked up my first copy from the library, but what are you currently reading, Riley? I am reading the 10th anniversary edition of, um, if you know, Cheryl Strayed, because she wrote Wild. She also wrote a book called Tiny Beautiful Things that is from her time as an advice columnist. People oh, write to her. It's a show now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen the show yet, but this edition came out, I think, sort of in tandem with the show, and it has a few more essays in the end. So my mom has a copy. I'm at home in California right now, so I'm going to try to bust out the extra essays while I'm here um, because I loved it so much the first time I read it. Oh, she's fun. got I need to try it. The show looks really good. It piqued my interest, but I have no idea how they're gonna make it a show because it is like a book of like maybe a hundred people writing in with their problems and her just writing beautiful, beautiful like essays, very thoughtful, well written things back that I just wanna like highlight like crazy and like hmm. remember forever. And I'm like, how am I making that a show? But I've heard it, good things. So it seemed like it was centered around a relationship of like her with a daughter right Mm -hmm. and I think I saw some couples therapy stuff like there's some interesting because I was wondering if they were going to try to make it more modern lovey where like each episode is standalone but I don't know if they do that I don't know I think Catherine Hahn is like the whole time oh yeah I like her so much I love her yeah what are you reading I am reading the ocean at the end of the lane by Neil Gaiman (gasps) Oh, I've never heard of that one. one. Oh, really? It's cute. It's really small. I think it's like maybe 150 pages. But I love Neil Gaiman. He also wrote um, Coraline and Stardust, um, American Gods, which I haven't read yet, but it's on my list. But this one is just as interesting and alternate like world building as the others so I really like that I like fantasy that like still holds roots in the real world it's been really good so far he's like the best at that I know and it's like so it's so insane the worlds he can create that are still like easy to picture I feel like sometimes I like just kind of zone out and I'm like all right this is like something I'm never gonna get but he describes it so well and like straightforward that I'm like oh okay this makes sense pre uh Coraline movie that book lived rent free in my head without seeing it on screen oh yeah I love that book in that movie so but did it spook you I feel like I wasn't spooked I just liked it it spooked me the book it spooked the shit out of me there was a page with her button eyes that when I turned the page (laughs) I freaked out and had to like fold the book back so that I couldn't see oh no and then 
anytime a picture was coming up, I would flip it over and I wouldn't look at it because I was so afraid of what else I would see. I was haunted by it. Oh my gosh, that's very cute. As a little cute. baby. I think I liked it. <laughs> I think I might have been older though. You might have been reading it younger than I was because I didn't really maybe. start reading until I was like maybe 13. Okay, I was like in elementary. I appreciate yeah. you giving me the benefit of the doubt for being a scaredy cat. Yeah, you were just a little baby. <laughs> I want to remind everyone that any books that we talk about that we're currently reading are on our bookshop if you want to check them out. The link is in our Instagram. And then so are the books that we're reading for the podcast if you want to read along and you want to support a local indie while you're at it. Yeah, you that can would be buy amazing. everything there. Yes. And or then support we, your library. True. We do love the library. For us, it's kind of hard. We can't write in our library books. So. It's easier when you yeah. want to look, I think, a little bit. With that, our Instagram is movies better, yeah, right. And I'll let Riley spell it out for you. Thanks. The handle is at movies better, yeah, right, which is M O V I E S B E T T E R Y A W R I T E. Perfectly done. Thank you guys for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.